Welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work, how being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey, which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take, and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Workplace Happiness podcast, I'll be speaking to people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who've had career changes to entrepreneurs who forge their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. So today I'm uh, talking to uh, the legend that is Venetia Williams, uh, horse uh, racing trainer, winner of so many events, uh, remarkably well known in the horse racing world about uh, her life, uh, her work, uh, how she runs her stables as much as she dare give away to her competitors, etc. Um, but it's uh, wonderful to, um, to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to have the uh, Greek yogurt berries and granola and um, I'm going to have the scrambled egg and smoked salmon as well, please. Could I just have some avocado on sourdough? Um, I don't, not, not Can I just start by asking you, how did you get into horse racing and training? As a child, I was a, a pony rider, like a lot of us are, you know, very pony, pony club person. And, um, but I, I loved racing. Um, my grandparents um, bred and raced the odd horse um, on the flat, actually. Um, and uh, I used to go to the local point to points, started riding point to points myself. Um, and uh, I worked for I worked for a training new market as assistant secretary and used to ride out there as well. And um, then I went to work in California um, as a work rider. So you always knew that you wanted to go into something to do with horses, horse racing, training? I certainly always wanted to. Um, the training thing was... A, Initially, my ambition was actually I wanted to be champion amateur rider. That was that was the the first sort of goal, which which didn't happen. Um, but I, I I did get quite a few rides under rules, and I had about ten or so winners under rules and twenty five in point to points. But it all came to a rather abrupt end. Um, I'd actually just ridden in the Grand National. Um, unfortunately, I'd fallen at Beaches Brook, but um, that was the last year that men were men, and Beaches Brook was a proper fence. Um, Crash landed how, there. How tall was it? Uh, it wasn't so much the height; it was the it was the drop, the landing side. And um, no, I didn't go back and measure it afterwards because <laughs> I, I, w- I was carted away unconscious in the ambulance. And what was quite funny, actually, was was um, uh, it's very important in the Grand National that you allow the reins to slip through your fingers when the horse lands because usually they will peck, you know, because it's. They're large fences, and and if you're holding the reins with vice-like grip, um, when the horse pecks, you know he's going to pull you over the head. So I was so determined to make sure that I relaxed my grip on the reins as, as he he landed, 
Um, but I thought, if I do this, I'm going to drop my stick at the same time. Um, why on earth? That's the optimism of youth. Why on earth? I thought I was going to need my stick for a close finish. <laughs> I don't know. But um, So I, I attached my whip um, with a, an elastic band to my middle finger so that um, I wouldn't drop it. But at the same time, if I did have a fall, I wouldn't have a firm strap which would break my wrist or something. Um, anyway, but it did its job, and, and I was carted off to hospital with my whip still attached to my middle finger. Um, I think in uh, Liverpool's Falzachary Hospital, they're probably used to um, Miss Whiplash coming in with complete with um, whip attached, but um, I think it caused a bit of amusement. Um, but anyway, that's another story. But yeah, so I, I, I was knocked out then, and it was my very next ride um, two weeks later that um, I actually um, had a bad fall and I broke my neck. And where was that? That was at Worcester. Um, um, I was paralysed the moment I landed. I remember rolling and you see the sky, the dirt, the sky, the dirt, then you come face down to rest. Um, and I could feel the grass on my face, but from my neck down I couldn't feel anything. Um, it, was like, it was like the rest of my body was floating up in the sky. And I could breathe and I could talk. And I remember saying, I can't feel anything, I can't move. Um, and I could see sort of people gathered around, but nobody moved me. And then, very fortunately, um, after about five minutes or so of this, gradually um, I got violent pins and needles down my arms and legs, and everything was buzzing really furiously, and that gradually faded away, and then I could feel everything again. Um, but anyway, I went off to hospital, and it, it transpired, as I said, that I'd broken the hanging bone. So I was in hospital for the um, best part of three months, um, and what's the um, the remedy for that? Does it fuse back itself, yes. or do you need operations? No, or? no, it it, it it fused back. And um, anyway, so that was the end of my riding career. Um, and at the time, I was assistant trainer to John Edwards, um, who's actually um, was training just down the road from us at home, but um, very successful trainer. And um, so, really, that was the end of my riding, and, and I was assistant trainer from then on for about four years or so, um, uh, at which point I made the decision to start training myself. But up until breaking my neck, the, the goal had always been the, the race riding rather than the training. If you were advising somebody who's, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 today, loves horses, has a pony, wants to get into the world of, uh, of racing, what would your best advice to them be? Um, well, I think it's probably the same as, as you would give um, young people wanting to get into, you know, whatever business world. I think it's always the same advice, is, is get in at the very lowest level, uh, whether it's um, uh, just sort of going to stables, um, working um, at a trainer's yard, um, doing work experience. You know, get in at the lowest level, learn as much as you can. Um, um, you know, it's getting your foot in the door, and, and that, that is the way forward, I'm sure. Um, there's a great thing now, um, where, which wasn't in, in, when I was young, um, there's British, the British Racing School, um, which is at Newmarket. There's another one um, up near Doncaster in the north of England, um, and, uh, and those are fantastic um, because they actually, in a classroom and a practical environment, teach young people, you know, how to ride racehorses, how to look after racehorses, and how to be valuable members of any um, trainer's team, you know, and um, 
uh, it's actually imperative that you do that course um, when you get to a certain age if you're going to continue in racing. So you can either do that off your own bat um, or probably as a result of joining a yard, then that trainer will, when you're ready for it, send you off for the course. So um, the first yard you went for, was that far from home? Yes, it was in Newmarket. So what did you do? You left home, how old were you? Well, actually, I, I, I spent best part of a year working up here in London, actually. Um, when I left school, I, I did what um, all parents of children, um, of girls, certainly at that age in era, um, I went and did a secretarial course, which I did in Oxford. Um, so I, I learnt to type and uh, do shorthand, take a letter, Miss Williams. So I worked in London, I did a bit of temping. I worked in Sotheby's for a little bit, actually. Um, worked in an art gallery in St James's. And when I was there, I answered an advert um, that appeared in the horse and hand for a new market trainer looking for an assistant secretary. Um, and I got the job, so I spent three years working in Newmarket, um, working for Gavin Pritchard-Gordon, um, who trained from magnificent stables, Stanley House Stables, which is now owned by Godolphin. So that obviously got, got my foot in the door, not in, not in the traditional way, although I did have to muck out um, one horse every day, and it was the one that I would ride every morning, and then from 9 o'clock onwards I spent the rest of the day in the office. Um, so that for three years, and then, and then I went to America, worked in California, um, Santa Anita and Del Mar Racetrack as a um, work rider. So how did that happen? Because that's a, another huge step. Uh, well, a friend of mine was working for Michael Stout, actually, and she was heading out there, because one of the horses Michael Stout was training um, uh, was heading out to California to race there. So she was going out with the horse and was going to work um, for a trainer out there, and I thought, well, that sounds a good idea. Um, and... Uh, made the call and managed to um, get a job at the same trainer's yard. Um, we went over on a horse flight, which um, in those days, um, Stansted Airport um, was a cargo-only flight. And um, it's got one of the longest runways in the UK, so it's used a lot for horse flights because, um, as you can imagine, the aeroplanes you know, need to take off very gradually. They can't just sort of shoot up in the air. So um, a lot of the horse flights went from Stansted and um, went there, um, stopped off at Calgary on the way and, and landed with, with about 25 horses on board um, at LAX Airport. And, uh, um, I, I went over there three times because I was actually had a boyfriend at the time that was in the army um, in the UK and he'd go off um, for exercises abroad and when he went off for his sort of two-month exercise, I went over to... Um, work on the racetrack and then come back. And, uh, and when you say fun. work on the racetrack, what did you do there? It was just, just as work rider, actually. Um, so you didn't have to do any of the mucky bits. Um, uh, so I'd ride probably seven or eight horses every morning on the racetrack because all, all the training there was actually done you know, on, on the racetrack. Um, and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lovely place. And um, for a while I shared a condominium um, with Jill Richardson, who at the time was um, John Gosden's secretary. John Gosden, as we know now, phenomenally successful champion trainer in the UK, but um, he started off training in California, um, and she was his secretary, so we shared a calendar for a while. So you did that for two years, three years? Um, probably best part, of, best part of two years, I think it was.
talking to uh, Venetia uh, in the Goring Hotel, and we uh, we're talking over breakfast, and our scrambled egg and smoked salmon has just arrived. So for the next section of this, you're likely to hear uh, knives scraping across plates and uh, uh, smoked salmon and scrambled eggs being um, enjoyed. Um, what's the experience like of working in the yard? Um, for those that have never done it, waking up at what time in the morning? Oh, well, it's certainly at our stables. Um, everybody starts work at, at seven in the morning. And, uh, you know, they, they muck up their horses and then, then the rest of the morning is, is spent, you know, riding them out at exercise, turning them out in the fields, you know, looking after them generally. You know, but for people like, like, like myself and, and everybody who works for me, and most people that you know, work in racing, you know, they do it because they love the horses. Um, th there seems to be more, more of a lean towards girls working in yards, actually. Um, particularly also now, um, a lot of the girls are doing really well as jockeys. Marmalade. So. Oh, very good. Anyway, it's very different because this is Tiptree, I think, who are very good at doing marmalade. We've got honey and marmalade and whatever. So we've now got to the point in time where you have got your own stables. Mm -hmm. From all that you'd learned, how were you going to set it up to be successful, as successful as you have been? Um, I was determined to have paddocks to turn these horses out every day. And I think, I think to this day I'm still the only trainer that does that across the board with all horses every day in, in you know, proper-sized paddocks. So that took a little bit of setting up. So getting a team, building a team, shaping a team to what you wanted, right? what was your thought on that? Well, it's a very gradual process, you know, because you, you, you need to have, you need to um, illustrate to the licensing committee that you've got sufficient clients. So when you go and apply for your license and come up for your interview here in London with the um, British Horse Racing Authority, um, you give a list of your clients. And I have to say, the, the list of, of uh, owners that I brought with me for my interview, um, only one of those actually ended up having horse with me. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you're starting with sort of five or six horses. Um, and I, I think I was very lucky in that in that we sort of landed running. You know, my first runner finished second and my second runner won. Um, and, and funnily enough, my, my, my first runner was owned by um, um, Mr. Miller from America, who I'd met when I was out in California working for Michael Dickinson, um, and was ridden by his son, Chip Miller. Um, and uh, uh, he was owned by an American, Irving Naylor. So exactly, so my first run, my, my first winner was, was American-owned. Um, but uh, it just sort of gradually builds up, and, and you know, like all things, if you're, if you're sort of one of the new kids on the block and, you know, you're fortunate enough to get a bit of early success, then, you know, it, it, it sort of compounds. And, um, and I was very lucky also in my first, no, well, not my first, in my second, third, and fourth season, um, in those days they ran a... Um, a trophy um, which was presented to the winner of what they call the strike rate. Um, so uh, I've got three huge lumps of water for crystal glass in my hall, which was, the, um, and it's, it, I think you've got to have trained more than 30 winners or something in a season, but it's the person with the highest winning percentage 
uh, in each season. So we won that three years running. You know, and that, and that was quite a. So that, quite a I good mean, that, that's a heck of an achievement. Yeah. To come straight in. I think, I think, yeah, I think I was lucky when I started. I think you know there, there weren't that many new trainers coming into the sport at that time. Um, yeah, but you were up against a lot of existing, mm. established, experienced training. So what gave you that edge? I mean, what, what did you put that down to? Turning the horses out every day? No, no well, I'd, I'd learned a lot. You know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd been with Martin Pike, and he'd been phenomenally successful. You know, so one learns a lot from you know, how he was training the horses and, and the success that he'd got. Um, but I, I, was, I, was, I think it was luck and good fortune. You know, I think, I think it was my third season. Um, I, I was very lucky to have um, a couple of very good horses. Um, and we ended up having about 75 winners in, uh, I think that was my fourth season. And I was, you know, um, in the top three or four trainers in the country. You know, and it was, you know, that, that was that was a, that was a, a bit of good fortune in, in dropping on the right horses at the right time. But but I'd also um, been lucky enough to catch the eye of, of a chap called um, Stephen Stanley, who who um, was um, he he ran some um, a tipping line sort of thing to begin with, but he was also a very shrewd guy who who loved his racing, and um, he ran me out of the blue once, asking if one of my horses was for sale. Anyway, the answer to the question was no, but it, it, it kicked off um, a series of long and very interesting conversations about racing, about training horses, um, and, and how he, as a, as a tipster, would um, spot talent. You know, we ended up work, working together for, for several years, and, and through him, we, uh, he ended up buying Teton Mill, who was a nine-year-old hunter-chaser with fired legs. Um, a good one, but... You know, so we were able to buy him um, relatively cheaply, and um, within ten months of buying him, you know, he was unbeaten. He'd won the Hennessy at Newbury, won the King George um, at Christmas, he'd won the Grade One Ascot Chase, and was joint favourite for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. And very sadly, he got an injury at the ditch at the top of the hill, so didn't fulfil that. But that was, you know, phenomenal for somebody in in just their third or fourth season's training. So, you know, good fortune. So, on, on Engaging Works, we have a, a workplace happiness survey, and the survey has been taken by tens of thousands of people all over the world, mm. and what it does is it compares your happiness at work to other people. Now, I don't think any racehorse trainers have taken <laughs> the uh, survey, and there are a few questions where um, uh, it's designed for, for, for different people in different workplaces. So, question number one. Oh, God. Do you feel appropriately rewarded for your work? And I've answered eight. So uh, you scored highly on that. Yes. Which is good. Yes. Question two. Are you happy with your working hours? So I've replied six. So that means I've slightly erred on the yes, but only just over a borderline. Um, and why is that? Uh, because quite often, you know, I'll be working very late at night. But I have to say, you know, all of it is my own choice, you know. I mean, I've only got myself to blame or myself to work around that and doing things differently. Um, so if you could change that to get a higher score, what would you do? Well, actually, I've already got um, 
steps are being done to do that. Um, I've never before had an assistant trainer because I've always felt that um, all the tasks and responsibilities that assistant trainers usually do in other yards are taken up by differing people within my organisation. Um, but a few people have suggested that I ought to have one. And it's mainly owners that have suggested that, and I think the only the reason why they think there's that, because they don't know the mechanics of how the yard works and the sharing of the, the duties. Um, but I think they just feel that if there was another person they could speak to um, in authority that would be able to answer their questions, um, they think that would be a good thing. So um, I'm taking steps to recruit an assistant trainer. And when you get a bit more time to yourself, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> um, sleep. <laughs> Question number three. Uh, do you feel recognised when you do something well? Um, I think that's got to be an eight. I'm using eight as a, yes, I'm fairly happy with that. I mean, if you put ten to any of these questions, you know, you're going to think, crikey, big-headed or something. So, um, who, so who are you recognised by? Um, basically three people. Um, my staff, my owners, and um, the public stroke media. And are they all equal? Do you feel they all do a, an equally good job at recognising what you achieve? Well, it's, it's different. You can't, you can't really can't really compare, you can't really compare, you know, what the media, um, f uh, you know, to, you know, the, 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 you know, if you do well, the, the, the staff are all happy, not so much for me necessarily, but as for us as a team, you know, and, and they, they get as much of an um, enjoyment and buzz out of success as I do. What's interesting is in all the research we do, um, recognition is more important than pay. It's interesting what you were saying yes. about having a time in your life when you weren't paid fairly, but you enjoyed the job and the people. And yeah. so, and on average in the UK, we recognise somebody for doing a job once every four and a half months. We yeah. criticise people for doing things not well twice a week. Yeah, I can believe that. I'm. I'm you, you might have heard me mention it earlier, and this might be, um, you might not agree, but um, I am a fan of Richard Branson's. And uh, one of the things that he said on his Instagram the other day was, um, I can't remember exactly what the words were, but it was along the lines of um, the two words, thank you, and never ever wasted, or can, can never be overused, or something like that. You know, and um, I'm sure that's right. Okay, question number four. Uh, do you have enough information to do your job well? Um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an eight again. And is there any information that you think you don't have? I mean, you must get, as you were saying earlier, so much data and... For practical reasons, um, an extremely accurate weather forecast would always be good. You know, when, when we're struggling on the cusp of, of whether the ground is too dry or, or, or not, because dry ground um, brings um, uh, dangers of injury to, to the horses, and I'm particularly... Um, careful to try and not put those horses in, in risk of tendon injury, which is massively enhanced by dry ground. Uh, do you feel information is openly shared with you at work? I think yes. I think I get the necessary information that I need to about the horses, but maybe there's possibly other things that um, I don't hear about. But at the same time, 
you know, talking about delegation, to a certain extent, I think it's good to be able to give my senior people, you know, the um, responsibility to to act on that sort of information and not involve me. You know, I don't want them to be feeling that I'm micromanaging and I've got to make the final decision on every minute thing. But I'm, st I'm going to put a seven on that, so I think pretty well yes, but on to the next. Are you empowered to make decisions? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> so we're going to go nine for that. Obviously within the yard, but there's something here about the relationship you have with your owners, isn't there? That's why it's not a ten. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you must have moments when the owner says, no, I really, really want to run it in that race at yes. that time. You're saying... I probably wouldn't advise that. So no. how, how does that tend to play out? It very rarely happens, but you know there, there is the odd occasion when it has happened. Um, and at the end of the day, the horse belongs to the owners. The owner always has the final decision. You know, and it's important to remember that. Do you feel trusted to make decisions? Um, yes, I'm going to do a nine on that. Do you have the resources you need to, to do your job well? Um, Yes, um, I'm going to go eight. Are you happy with your working environment? So for some people it's the office they work in, for other people it's the factory that they're going to every day uh, and how that feels. For you it's um, walking out of your door in the beautiful Herefordshire <laughs> countryside, looking over magnificent stables <laughs> with some of the finest horses in the world, putting them out to grass. And anything less than an eight is ridiculous and <laughs> it negates everything I've said for the last um, hour um, and three quarters. Unless you said, I get terrible hay fever and I'm allergic to horses. <laughs> but that apart, I suspect you're off the scale on this one. It, it's, it's, a, it's a nine. Uh, do you feel your views are heard at work? Um, I think that's an eight. And what about for your team? Do you feel that their views are heard? Do you feel you manage to extract from them? Yes, well, as want? I said to you, you know, um, you know, we've sort of talked about that, and, and I, I try and encourage that and, and, and think I do. Do you feel the organisation cares for your well-being? Well, seeing as I'm responsible for the org organisation, <laughs> I think... Would you care for your own well-being? I suppose so. I mean, you've got to, haven't you? I don't, some, some people we've talked to uh, sit here and say, you know what, I need to look after myself better. I'm working too hard, I'm doing too many hours, I'm not delegating enough, I'm worrying too much. And well, it's that, that applies to everybody. Like, everybody does that. Yeah. Or most people anyway. But, um, so I think rather than the, the organisation, you know, it, basically the question has to be, do you care for your well-being? Given that you own and run the organisation. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, looking at it from that kind of line of a question, I suppose I'm probably going to put... Um, probably going to put that on a six, I think. Do you rarely feel depressed, anxious at work? Ooh, no. No, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go below five on that because I frequently... OK. So if you're frequent, you're a low score. Um, if you're rare... Yeah, so I'm going to go four on that. And, and so what is it that, that makes you feel anxious? Well, horses, horses running badly. And the owner's disappointed, horses with injuries. In fact, I mean, we make that three now, I've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that square about um, with what you were saying about needing to be an optimist? That must be a really difficult internal tension between yeah, you've no, got you're tomorrow right. and, and that yeah. anxiousness and how you manage it. Yeah, well, it's 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 a, it's a it's a time thing, 
you know, you're, you're in a period of anxiety and depression, um, but fortunately, you know, you're able to fairly quickly, and quickly can be anything from 10 minutes to an hour to a week, um, have something of potential excitement around the corner. Do you feel you do something worthwhile? Yes. And I go yes for that because at the end of the day, one horse racing around a field and beating another doesn't have massive world significance or anything, but it's a lot of fun for a lot of people. So, um, do you feel proud to work for your organisation? Yes, that's a nine. How likely are you to recommend your friends and family to work at your organization? Uh, definitely nine. Do you feel that you are treated with respect? Um, are we talking about employees or clients? Yeah. or? In general, do you feel that you're treated with respect? Yeah, I think that'll be an eight. And say, so talk to me just for a moment about being a woman in horse racing, being a trainer. How's that been? Well, I think we talked a little bit about it earlier. I think there's, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, in the early, early days, I probably got quite a bit of publicity because of the novelty value. There weren't many English female trainers um, around. So I think um, you know, that, that probably helped. I've lost count how many times I've been asked the question, what's it like being a woman in a man's world? But I think that's becoming less of a... Well, it's less of a question because I've been doing it for a long time. But um, I think it's generally less of a question anyway. But uh, as we said earlier, I, th I think, I think um, as a female, I think one possibly has a little bit more empathy and sympathy for the horses as animals and, and the staff. Um, but on the downside, one, there's the possibility, and I am generalizing here, and some trainers might be very cross with me saying it, but you know, I think on the downside, or plus and minus, you know, the emotional involvement perhaps that we have with, again, number one, our horses, but also, you know, the people we work with and for. And when things go wrong, you know, I, I think we probably feel, um, you know, responsible for for it and and take it probably you know, a lot of weight on our shoulders, which is probably not as useful um, as being able to shrug it off and, and on, on with the next, you know. But it is something that you've got to try and make yourself do, try and develop a rhinoceros skin, but, you know, I haven't done it yet, so I'm probably not going to. Uh, do you enjoy your job? Yes, I do. And I, but I'm going to put a seven on this, which is not quite as strong as the eight, because I do enjoy it very much when it goes well. But, you know, referring back to, you know, the, the stress levels when it's not, you know, that can be, um, that can drag you down quite a bit. But I'm sure that applies to everybody in everybody's job. Nobody, nobody's going to enjoy their job the whole time anyway. What's the favourite bits of your job? Oh, being at the races and winning. Especially when the owners are there. Next. Do you feel you have a good relationship with your line? Who's my line manager? So, because you own the organisation, I think the only, so... It might be your chairman if you had a chairman, yes. but you don't. It might be your investors if you had investors, but you don't. So for you, I think we have to think about this in the context of your owners. 
So your owners have the horses, okay. they can pull the horses, they pay for everything. Um, yes. So um, what's your <laughs> relationship like with your owners? Well, I'm going to put eight on that because by and large, yes, but there's the odd one, um, you know. <laughs> but how, do, how does a really good owner behave? I think just, just um, enjoying what we're doing, um, uh, appreciating the challenges, you know, and, and um, yeah, and, and, and win, lose or draw, you know, have, having a good time. Enjoying the races. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, yeah, exactly, and, you know, coming to the yard and, and, and all of that. Right, so on to the next. Do you feel you are being developed? Well, it's all down to me. You know, nobody else can do that for me. You know, um, it's, it's all a case of me putting myself into situations where, you know, one's observing new ideas and new ways of doing things and new ways of uh, making the owner's experience more fun. Um, but, it, you know... It, it all has to be self-driven. You know, nobody's going to do it for me. So being developed sounds, sounds like, you know, you're responding to outside forces that are making this happen, which is not the case. But I suppose I'll still say six. I suppose is that is that is that all right? Is this a bit of a... No, you, well, you can be whatever you want. It's, it's one of those well, interesting I've not, things. I've not directly. If, if you compare it. yourself now to uh, the Venetia Williams that was setting up your stable. Uh, all those years ago, did you feel you were learning more then and pushing yourself then? And do you feel now you've got to a point where you're you you've learned it all, you know it all, uh, you're successful? Oh, okay, okay. Now, well, I'm going to put that one seven because um, you know the, you learn something new every day. You know, in in all the different facets of what I do. You know, so um, you know if you if you're going along without your ears and eyes open, you know you, you're going to. Um, you know, not leave yourself open to, to, to that. And for you, there's but, so many areas, aren't there, where you can develop. There's obviously the horse training part, you know, are there new and better and different ways of yeah. doing things? And yeah. then there's the owners, you know, uh, is, is there a better way of getting more owners and keeping yeah. owners for more and getting owners more? And then, of course, yeah. there's a media side, you know, how, how yeah. am I doing as a media yes. personality, which, of course, you are. Um, and yeah. so there's so many, as you say, facets to your job Yes. And it's whether you take the time to sit and think, you know what, I can probably develop it more in this area, but how do I do that? How well, do I... Uh, no, that's very interesting. And, and I'm sure the answer, the correct answer for all that is, is yes. I, but um, it doesn't happen without me searching for it. You know, I, I'm, not sub, I'm not subject to some, um, you know, overriding governing body that, that sort of feeds you this stuff. You know, so, um, you know, yes, I would like to, you know, I would like to um, be open to more new ideas and different things. Not so much on the training of the racehorses, I think, because um, that's almost kind of gone full circle, I feel. I mean, I might be wrong. A lot of, a lot of people might disagree with me. But, you know, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, all, all the, the sort of modern technology, you know, all these companies manufacturing heart rate monitor, we can give you a heart rate monitor, you know, and, and, and everyone thinks this is going to be, science is going to make it better, the training of the horses. But as I said before, you know, regardless of what the horse's heart rate, you cannot do anything more 
with the information you're given to make it better. So I'm going to I'm going to put that as a seven because yes, there are options, but I need to go and find them. Okay. Do you feel happy at work? Um, that's a seven again. What three changes will improve your workplace happiness? Oh my word! So this is the last of the questions before we do the filter questions. So three things that you think would make me happier at work. Gosh. And you have to type these in. Ah, I don't know what to type So this is to make you reflective after all those questions. Say, actually, yes. what is it that would make me happier at work? God, you know what? I can't even think of one. One thing, I heard that um, Sue and Harvey Smith, do you know who train up in, you know, Harvey, um, train up in Yorkshire, uh, they apparently bought a house in Spain and they go there every fortnight for two or three days. And I'm not saying that's what I like to do, but I think that's sort of the, the, the idea of having the freedom to, to go and do something like that would be good. However, it wouldn't work for me because I'm on my own and all those things. Okay, so that's it. Have, have a husband. <laughs> Can I put that in? You can put whatever you want. Partner. Yeah, ha that I could... Yeah, that would that would that that would be the ideal. Um, have. I think uh, you're the first person to ever put that. <laughs> I know. Oh, I, part time. I, Can I, I do that? I, I think I think you're thinking about what would this allow me to do, rather than. No, no. It, it, yes, completely. Well, it would be also because I remember Sarah Hobbs saying to me years and years ago. She said, "Your trouble. That's Philip Hobbs, trainer's wife. Your trouble is you're on your own." She said, um, Philip comes to bed at night, tells me all the troubles of the yard. He rolls over, goes to sleep. And she said, I lie awake all night worrying about it. So, you know, there's... An, and so Something to share my worries with. Yes. Having a husband, in brackets, part-time, <laughs> <laughs> to share things with. So that's... that's Talking about and having, yeah. Um, okay. Including uh, away trips. Put away trips as number two. Okay. Um, okay. But you got away in the summer. You went on lovely boating. I saw you on a boat. That was Philip Hobbs's boat down at the X X River Estuary. Okay. Doesn't count. So number two is getting away from the day job. Uh, getting. It's not so much getting away, but getting away to um, to lovely places. In brackets with the above. <laughs> the third thing: more resource. You said better yeah. horses, owners with deeper pockets. Yeah. There, there we go. There we go. Okay, Sorry, so you, that was the last of your uh, questions. Uh, so now we've just got some filter questions. So the point of the filter questions is that they compare you to people who look like you. So first okay. is gender. That's it. Ta and what happens now is that uh, a score will come up and it will tell you, give you a percentage, of how happy you are at work, and it will compare you to other people who have ticked the same things that you ticked at the end about your 
Uh, I think I only, I only went once below the halfway point, so it ought to be. So, Venetia, you are 789 out of 1,000, or 78.9%. Okay. And you can see that the global score today of people taking the survey is 655, right. so you're well above. So I've got no reason to complain average. at all. But there are people all over the world, and then in your industry, so this is the leisure sector. Yes, um, much the same. It's a slightly lower, it's uh, 653, yeah. so again you're well above. Yes. And then if you look at the six areas of questions we talked about, we talked about reward and recognition. We talked about information sharing, we talked about empowerment, we talked about well-being, instilling pride and satisfaction. And reward and satisfaction comes in as amber, but all the rest are green, which is good news. And then here we have questions about your well-being. We don't uh, know. Which is uh, three out of ten, according to that. That's because you mark yourself three out of ten on that anxiety question. And if you and do is that, that the only question really relative to that? No, there are there are four questions that measure this, so it oh, hasn't right. come up. Okay. But if you score lowly on that, yes. uh, what we normally say to people is go and take the, the specific wellbeing assessment because then that works out why you score what you do. Right. And then it offers advice, which we're not going to do, but yes. if anybody does it individually, we recommend they do yes. that. And then this box here scores uh, well-being index and how you compare. And if for some reason it's disappeared, I knew I pressed it. The next one is your stickiness index. Your stickiness index is how likely you are to stay or go. So when we do this with companies, what it shows is the number of people who are keen to stay and the number yeah. of people who are actually looking to go. Oh, really? So it gives oh, you an insight into yeah. how many people you've got likely to leave. But as you can yeah. see, you're an enthusiastic remainder. Oh. So you're, you're, and you'll score well above the global average and you score yes. well above the industry. The next is an apostle or an anarchist. This is people who are either full of praise for what they do in their organisation, oh, or alternatively, just yeah. anarchists who tell all of their friends it's a terrible place. I've never yeah, worked yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and not surprisingly, you're an yes. apostle for Venetia Williams of Racing. Yes. In developing your career, you're slightly above the average. Right. Uh, uh, in terms of inclusiveness, when you've got information, you're above again, as we'd expect, as you uh, did well in these scores. You feel very empowered, again, well above the average. Uh, in terms of your sense of purpose, you do feel that um, you do something worthwhile. So you're well There's above the average. There's a lot of average. sevens and eights in my answers. Yeah. There were. And your relationship with your line manager, or in your case, your owners, mm. again, is well above the average. Environment is very good, and I've just pressed the button again. So overall, mm. you score very highly. You're Happy, happy, work. happy, You're happy, happy, happy. What you do. And then the last question is, if you were to nominate somebody to take the Workplace Happiness Survey, who would you nominate? For what purpose? To do the survey, to explore how happy they are at work. And, and you're talking about me thinking somebody who works for me? Yeah, anybody. Anybody in the world. Dalai Lama, whoever you'd like. Oh, I see. Okay, I've got it. Who do you think would be interesting to, to reflect on their happiness at work? Uh, Boris Johnson. Yeah, lots of people say Boris Johnson. <laughs> we'll have to get him along to do the test. Yeah. On that note, uh, Venetia, thank you very much indeed for doing the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and we wish you every success for the racing season that lies ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness, go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.